listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Y'all can grab a seat. I'll never forget the day that my wife began to kind of question whether or not I'm a good guardian, I'm a good protector. We were, you're already laughing, that's not good. (laughs) We were in Togo, Africa, um, on a mission trip there, and this little, you could call it a town, a city, I don't know, called Togoville, that is primarily accessible only through canoe, which we got there by canoe with our team like at two in the morning. It was not a great start to cross. The, it sounds really cool, but you've been flying for 30 something hours. It is not fun to do that. Anyways, a couple of days into our, uh, our journey there, we're having, a, you, know, you know how you do on a mission trip at night, you have your debrief time, you're all laughing together and talking and praying a little bit. We're in this, this concrete house, I guess you would call it, having our discussion time. Um, and by the way, just a little context here, Togoville is not necessarily known for being a safe, great place. Um, and very, uh, voodoo is very popular there, so as Christians, even being there, a little bit of danger. I weren't scared, but still a little danger there. So we're, we're having the, this debrief time in this house, and all of a sudden, we hear this pop, pop, and I look over, and our, one of the leaders, mind you, like the biggest, most in shape, biggest, baddest dude we have, falls to the ground. So I also fall to the ground and I'm like, we're getting shot. Like, this is a drive-by. And I'm like, well, this is how it ends. Lauren and I in Togo, we're in Africa. And the worst part, we didn't even get to see any cool animals. We don't have kids yet. I'm just, what a waste, God. What a waste. Well, after what seemed like minutes, but probably just about three or four seconds, several in our group begin to laugh because they realize what had happened, what had happened. So our, this big leader guy was not doing what his mom told him to. He was leaning back in his chair on two legs and it was a plastic chair. And in that concrete, we'll call it a chamber, it really sounded like two gunshots. But the two, two of the legs had just broken off and he had fallen down. So they all start laughing, losing their minds. And then I think my wife was on the point out, Brandon, why are you on the ground too? <laughs> and I'm like, y'all, I thought we were getting shot. <laughs> and of course they roasted me, as you can imagine. Um, so a couple learning points there. One, if you're ever in a drive-by, I'm not gonna be much help. Um, but I want you to know, when I was the middle school pastor and the college pastor, parents, your kids were always under great care. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Don't be alarmed. <laughs> Everything was just fine. Um, no, but in, in seriousness, what, what's cool about that story, what it shows us, what it reminds us of, even though it's kind of humorous, is that what we think, what we believe, determines the way we live. It determines our actions. I thought we were being shot at, so I fell to the ground, which, mind you, is the right thing to do, okay? Anyways, um, Lauren would say I was holding on to her legs on the floor. That is not true, all right? <laughs> but because I thought we were being shot at, I responded a certain way, right? What you think, what you believe determines how you live, which is certainly the case with Christianity. The Bible teaches that Jesus is 
I would say history too, but that Jesus is the centerpiece of history. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He is the centerpiece of the universe and he should be the center of your life. So if you have misconceptions, false beliefs about Jesus, that changes everything, right? If he's supposed to be the center, the rock, the cornerstone, if something gets off in your view, your mindset of Jesus, it distorts everything in the way you process your mind and the way that you live. To tie back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that obeying him, you could say uh, living out your life according to who he is and what he taught is the, should be the foundation of your life. And if you have a bad foundation, you're gonna have a bad home. The foundation affects everything. What you believe about Jesus, it's not just like, yeah, that's important. No, it's everything. That's where the book of Colossians is so incredibly helpful. And if you, maybe you're already there. If you're not, turn in your Bible to the book of Colossians. We're gonna be kind of everywhere in Colossians this morning because there's more of an introduction to the book. But again, Colossians gives us that, that center, that cornerstone of who Jesus is because if we're off on who he is, we're off on everything. So here's kind of a, a big picture of Colossians. It shows, this, shows you who Jesus is and how his identity changes your identity. If I could, again, you could say that maybe about several books in the Bible, but certainly of Colossians, it shows you who Jesus is and how his identity changes your identity. And that word and is a very small word, but there's some important nuance there. Because here's the reality. Scripture would teach us, if you say you know who Jesus is, but it doesn't change your life, then you don't know Jesus. Amen? To know Jesus is to have a changed life. So it shows you who Jesus is and how his identity changes your identity Small plug there from middle school, Disciple Now, about being known and knowing your identity in Christ. All right, so that's kind of the big picture. But what exactly is the book of Colossians? It's an eternity-changing letter. That may seem obvious, but I think it's important to note. It's an eternity-changing letter. So a couple things about that. First of all, because it's a letter, it was written to specific people in specific circumstance, and this is good to know about all of scripture, a little hermeneutics here, hermeneutics being the art or science of studying the Bible. So if we're gonna have a good hermeneutic, a good approach to studying scripture, we need to know the context. Who wrote it, who was it written to, and what was the occasion, what was going on? So the fact that it's a letter matters because there's a specific situation that the author was addressing. And this also means that because it's a letter, it's going to read differently than so many parts of the Bible. It's funny, most of us as Westerners, we're, we're familiar with the, the epistles. Um, and then we go to read like the book of Psalms or 2 Kings, and we have a hard time reading. It's because they're different genres, right? So like 1st, 2 Kings, that's a narrative. If you try to have your 30-second devotional with that, you're gonna be really confused, and you may think you're supposed to go kill someone. I don't know, <laughs> right? Um, so... It's not a narrative, it's not poetic, it's a letter, it reads like that. And by the way, we're gonna have these books next week back at the Welcome Y'all Center. Richard always says, it's the best welcome center in the world. 
undeniably. <laughs> um, but we're gonna have some books back there. It's called uh, Literary Introductions to the Bible by Leland Riken. And it's my, f- if you're looking for a good Bible study resource, it's probably, if I could pick one book to be a companion to my devotional reading, that would probably be it. Um, study Bibles are great. I'm not trying, there's not a plug as much as I think it's super helpful. And we're gonna have them back there. It's called Literary, in- Literary Introductions to the Bible. Um, and again, it helps you approach each book of the Bible knowing the context, but also understanding how should you read that particular genre. So if you're in the wisdom literature, if you're in narratives, if you're in the gospels, how do you read that genre of scripture? Really, really helpful. So it's a letter, but I wanna camp out on this for a second. The book of Colossians as a letter would not exist if it wasn't for a man that you may not even know his name. Check this out. Look, join in with me in verse five, excuse me, verse six of chapter one. He's talking about the gospel. In chapter one, verse six, he says, speaking of the gospel, he says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel spreading is growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Here's the key, verse seven. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Epaphras. All right, this is, there's zero judgment. I just, I'm just curious. Who, when, I, when, I, uh, when someone speaks of Colossians or says the word Colossians, raise your hand if your automatic first thought is Epaphras. Richard, don't raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're on the same page here. My, I wouldn't have raised my hand either. I was, I was not raising my hand. Epaphras, who in the world is this? So Paul, the Apostle Paul, we'll talk about him in a second. He had been preaching the gospel in the city of Ephesus. This is where we get the book of Ephesians from. He eventually wrote to the church at Ephesus. But he was preaching the gospel in Ephesus. And Epaphras went to Ephesus and heard the gospel preached by Paul. And he heard the gospel there, was changed by who Jesus is. Remember, who Jesus is should change who you are. He was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, went back to his hometown of Colossae, and Epaphras preached the gospel there. Pretty cool, right? So then the gospel began to spread in Colossae, and eventually Paul wrote the book of Colossians, the letter Colossians, to the church in Colossae. So think about this. If Epaphras had not done this simple, not easy, but simple work of just taking the good news of Jesus Christ to his hometown, I think it's feasible to think we wouldn't have this letter in scripture. Do you think Epaphras, when he was walking, or yeah, I guess walking or riding on a donkey, a donkey, to back to Colossae, do you think he thought, oh man, I'm gonna go share the gospel in my hometown, and you know what, eventually, the Apostle Paul is gonna write a letter, and man, my name will be in scripture forever, and this book, a letter to my hometown, will change the lives of Christians for millennia. Do you think he was thinking that? No. He just said, and Jesus is amazing. I'm gonna talk about Jesus. It's 
amazing how the simple things have significant impact. He just went and shared the gospel. I wonder how many of you feel like you're not making much of a kingdom impact. You don't get to come up on the platform. You don't have this sweet little mic. You don't have the pipes like David and Allie and Ariel and all the other folks that get to sing up here. And maybe you're not a door greeter. and You're like, man, I don't know if I'm making much of an impact. But here's the reality. Maybe you're doing the simple thing that Epaphras did and just sharing your story and sharing really the story of who Jesus Christ is. You won't know until eternity the kind of impact you're making. So don't quit. Don't give up. Just because your name is not famous doesn't mean you don't matter. <laughs> the simple things have significant impact. Maybe you're not quite an Epaphras, but maybe like me, we need to try a little bit more at doing that. Of saying, man, maybe if I would just be a little more intentional about sharing the gospel and just telling people how awesome Jesus is, then maybe I could make an eternal, not maybe, I will make an eternal impact. And simple things make significant impact. Now, I, I don't want to, before we go to the next point, I want to point out, while I'm harping on Epaphras, we're going to see Paul's mentioned here, Timothy's mentioned here. Again, Epaphras, we mentioned at the offering time, the idea of the body of Christ. Man, it's all of us coming together that make an impact for the kingdom. kingdom. So Epaphras shared the gospel to Colossae, but Paul is the one who wrote it? So let's look at this next part. Who wrote it and who received it? Paul wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to believers in Colossae. Paul wrote it. The believers in Colossae were the ones that he was writing to. They received it. I think it's important, even though we're familiar with who Paul is, um, but let's just read this, verse one through two. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. I'll be quick on Timothy. Paul left Timothy to lead the church in Ephesus. They were kind of co-partners, they don't kind of, they were co-partners uh, in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. All right, so um, for the sake of time. Paul, let's kind of remember who Paul is. He's the one who wrote it. Paul, before he met Jesus, he was a very, very religious person. Maybe like some of us in here. Very, very religious. He was a Jewish rabbi. He was of the Pharisee sect. Do you remember what Jesus said of the Pharisees? They were whitewashed tombs. So they looked really good on the outside, but inside they were full of what? Death. Like if someone calls you a whitewashed tomb, that's not a compliment. Thank you so much. That's what Paul was in, in God's eyes, a whitewashed tomb. Or I should say Saul, sorry. That's what he was. He was a whitewashed tomb. He, he hated Christians. He saw the followers of Jesus. He saw Jesus as a threat until one day he was walking on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him and it was a life-changing moment. It, it's very simple. He just like, he saw Jesus for who he was, his true identity as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, and Paul was forever changed. He began to take his Roman name, which was Paul, and he was commissioned by Jesus to be an official representative of Jesus and go and share the gospel around the world. And that's what he did. That's why we have so much written about Paul in the New Testament. And if he was here today, he might share just a little bit of his testimony from Philippians chapter three. He, he, would, he was talking about uh, works and legalism and how people, religious people might try to earn their standing before God. He says, if any, 
of you thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists all these things. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteous, righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he would tell you, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That sounds like a man who is complete in Christ. <laughs> I've forsaken all my own righteousness. Oh, I can impress God with this and say, none of that counts for anything. I'm completely, wholeheartedly relying on and standing on Jesus, the foundation of my life. That is who wrote the book of Colossians. Pretty good example for us. It says he wrote it to believers in Colossae. Two things real quick, I think it's interesting. He says, to the saints in Colossae. Were these Colossian believers, were they perfect yet? No. Did they have it all together? No, Paul probably wouldn't have been writing a letter to them if they did. But he called them saints. Listen, your identity is defined by what Jesus says of you, not what the world says of you. Your worth, your value is determined by the cross, not by society. And if you are in Christ, then you are called a saint. You are called out as a holy one. To, you've been covered by the blood and you're called to live like Jesus. I think it's important to know that because I think we can read scripture and think, oh man, the people Paul was writing to, they were these amazing spiritual people. They weren't like us. No, they were like us. They were a lot like us. He says they're saints. If you're in Christ, you are a saint. And then he says, so he says to the saints and faithful brothers. And again, that's just the term, like brothers and sisters, don't get caught off by that. Faithful brothers. Well, what I love about this says faithful, I think so often, me included, or me mainly, we think of Christianity and we feel like we have this weight of perfection on us. Y'all, here's the reality. We're not trying to, be perfect around it. I mean, I wanna be perfect like my heavenly father. I wanna strive to know Christ, but I realize I can't be perfect on this earth. My goal is to be faithful, amen? When you're gonna get to heaven, Jesus isn't gonna say, well done, my good and perfect servant. He's gonna look at me, Lord willing, and say, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. Here's the reality. If you think the goal, if you think the, the uh, hmm, 
the weight is perfection, you will never be real and you will never be vulnerable. And because of that, you will never grow. The call is to to be faithful. It's to be faithful. And as we're faithful, we grow. To add one little thing to that, if, if you think the idea is perfection and not faithfulness, you're not gonna be real, you're not gonna be vulnerable, and you're not gonna be involved in community. And community is how you grow. And community is the places God works. Speaking of community, where did this letter go? This should, I've already said this, but I think it's worth pointing out. The ancient city of Colossae. This is where the letter went. Eventually, obviously, it was distributed to the church at large as scripture, but initially as scripture, it went to the church at Colossae. And here's what I wanted to camp out, even though this is already obvious. Here's what's really cool. I left my phone. Hey, Channing, will you, th- will you toss me my phone? I'll just, yeah, I'll just come get it. <laughs> Bad idea, drop my phone in front of everyone. <laughs> come back up the stairs. All right, check this out. Have you all go to that next slide? Oh, actually, I have the clicker. Look at that. <laughs> oh, too far. <laughs> oh, and now, okay, I'll just stop. <laughs> you got me, bro? <laughs> there we go. Okay, here's what's cool. Colossae is still a real place. Like if you, I wanted my phone, because you can type, actually, I give you permission. I, I dare you. On your phone, you can go to Google and type in Colossae, not Colossians, but Colossae, and you can see the weather. It is currently 53 degrees Fahrenheit in Colossae. The wind is blowing at one mile per hour north out of the, or one mile per hour out of the north, uh, and it's 6.01. Actually, I need to refresh that. That was this morning. Anyways, it's 7.15 now. It's a real place. Like you, this is, it's in modern day Turkey. It was in the Roman Empire. It's in, now it's in modern day Turkey. Like that's a sign pointing, you wanna go visit the ancient ruins of Colossae? Go check it out. Guys, God is not just this abstract floating being. We're like, I just wanna connect with God. He's a real God who cares about real people in real places. Amen? God cared about the ancient city of Colossae, and guess what? He cares about the good old LBK. He cares about this place. He wants to reach people in our community because God cares about real people in real places. He cares about the people in your school. He cares about the people in your home, in your apartment, in your dorm. He cares about people at your work. He cares about people in your gym or your box. He is a real God who cares about real people in real places places. So do we as his people, do we have that same heart? Too, it's too easy to kind of float around our lives like, yeah, I love Jesus, and to not, and have this kind of abstract spirituality instead of saying, man, Jesus is real, and while he is not defined by time or space, he chooses to work within time and space, and he cares about the people in the community I live in. The Lord had a heart for Colossae. Paul had a heart for Colossae. Jesus has a heart for Lubbock. Do we have a heart for Lubbock? May our lives reflect that. It was written to Colossae. When was it written? It was about AD 62, while Paul was in prison and Nero ruled Rome. AD 62, while Paul was in prison and Nero ruled Rome. Simple question, Emperor Nero, good guy, bad guy? 
bad guy. Yeah, no bueno, right? Um, not a good time to be a Christian in the Roman emperor, excuse me, in the Roman empire because of the Roman emperor. But yet, the Colossians still pursued Christ. Paul called them to still have a bold witness. Man, that, that's just a fact of history that should compel and convict us. Makes me think of what is quoted from the, the book, The Insanity of God, what one believer, I think it was in Eastern Europe, um, under persecution told an American believer, never give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. Just being bold for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why it's important to know that Nero was the emperor, but then Paul was in prison. And man, we've, this is a common theme, but think about it. Like, it's worth considering again. Paul could have been like, you know what? I've been beaten for Christ. I've been shipwrecked for Christ. I've experienced all this messed up stuff. I'm in prison now. I'm just gonna chill. I'm gonna give me a good workout in. I'm gonna, maybe if they had, I doubt they had televisions in the prison, maybe like watch the, the Jewish Fox News. I don't know. It's all fake anyways. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, sorry. He could have just hung out. And we probably wouldn't follow him, but we still would have been like, man, what a guy. But Paul did not let his circumstances kill his desire to make a kingdom impact. Check this out. I think his circumstances, rather than kill his kingdom impact, they were the key to his kingdom impact. Here's the reality. If Paul was in prison, I don't think we have the book of Colossians because Paul just would have went there himself. Think of this, Paul never went to Colossae. Had he, had he not been in prison, I, it's possible, I, I'm not God, I don't know. It's possible we wouldn't have the book of Colossians. And Dad Gummit, I'm really grateful we have the book of Colossians. Your circumstances don't kill your ministry. They may be the key to your ministry. Let's quit making excuses. If I had this, if I didn't have this, then I could make an impact for Christ. And Paul would say, bro, just make an impact for Christ no matter what's going on. Or sis, make an impact for Christ no matter what's going on. Let's try to remember my transition. I don't know what it is. We'll just go to the next one. All right. <laughs> Why was Colossians written? To combat false teaching and encourage growth in Christ. A lot of different, uh, I say a lot, there's a few different opinions on what the false teaching was exactly that was going on. Could have been Gnosticism, this idea that uh, that flesh, that material things are all evil and that only spiritual things are good. The problem with that with the Gnostic asceticism idea is that it lowers Christ, uh, Christology because Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He's the God man, the perfect God man. So if you have this Gnostic idea that, that flesh, material things that you can see and touch are evil, then that pr creates a problem for Christology. Christology, it makes Jesus lesser. Something that could have been a form of Jewish mysticism or, or paganism. Whatever the case, the reality was, they were being tempted to come away, to step away, to fall away from the true gospel that Jesus had taught. 
that Jesus had delivered to the apostles. They were being tempted to pull away from that. You could even say it another way. They were being tempted to say, okay, Jesus is a great teacher, but it's Jesus plus following all these rules, doing all these rituals. That is what will get you a right relationship with God. That is what will make you complete, make you happy. And Paul's saying in writing the book of Colossians, no, 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 it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? It's not Jesus plus my good works and then I'll have a right relationship with God. It's not Jesus plus good works and performing really well, then I'll be complete, then I'll be satisfied. No, Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything. This is why, turn with me, this is why, maybe you don't have to turn, maybe just flip your eyes over. This is why he says what he says in chapter two, verses six through seven. Again, it's kind of, we're doing broad painting overview this morning. Chapter two, verses six through seven, he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he's saying, keep clinging to Christ. Keep digging your roots into Jesus because he is all you need. You don't need anything else. If he's really your Lord and Savior, he's all that you need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So cling to him, build your life on him, dig your roots deep down into him. You know that every single temptation you face, every single temptation you face at its core, at its root is a temptation to take a step away from the gospel, to take a step away from believing that Jesus is enough for you. I promise you, you can trace, and maybe not face value or like service level, you may not quite see it, but if you, if you consider it for a little bit, every temptation you face, it's temptation to just drift away from Jesus a little bit. And again, the problem is, he's the centerpiece of civilization, the centerpiece of the universe. It should be the centerpiece of your life. So when you get off kilter in your relationship with Christ, when you're not rooted into him, when you're not building your life on him, everything else falls apart. So he says, cling to him, dig deep into him. Final thing I want us to see about Colossians is kind of an introduction. It's interesting Paul's addressing really what was ultimately heresy. It's a serious issue. I think it's interesting in our culture of blowing people up. um, Look how Paul deals with this. How did Paul address the false belief in Colossae? By making much of Jesus. This is our last point, so I promise hanging there, we're almost done. By making much of Jesus. That's how he addressed it. If you read through Colossians, he does address the false teachers. He talks about some of the weaknesses of their teaching, of their belief. But the overwhelming majority of the book of Colossians is Paul just elevating, when I say elevating, putting in the right perspective who Jesus is. Jesus is, he's the king, he's the Lord, he's the savior. He's just showing this is who Jesus is. Makes me think of what he wrote in chapter one, Verses 15 through 20, speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. That's who Jesus is. He is supreme. I remember, this is really random, I remember the uh, very first middle school disciple now I got to lead here, it was called Supremacy. We focused on the supremacy of Christ. And the very first Friday night, I was like, hey guys, what's our theme this weekend? And the kid, as serious as he can be, shouted and stood up from the back and he said, super Macy. <laughs> yeah, not the same word. Supremacy of Christ. That, hey, there's no one higher, there's no one greater, there's no one better than Jesus. He is supreme. Where am I going with all this? Thomas Chalmers, Scottish pastor from like 1700s, I think it was, said, ask the question, how do you dislodge something from the human heart? So how do I dislodge false belief, false understanding, misplaced love? How do I dislodge something from the human heart? He said, you replace it with something more beautiful. How do I dislodge a false belief about, I, about who Jesus is? Or how do I dislodge uh, idolatry in my heart, loving something other than God? I replace it with something more beautiful. In other words, I set my eyes on who Jesus actually is. And as I see him for who he is, my heart's affections become for him, but not a lesser thing or lesser person. I think that's why he says what he says in chapter three, verse one. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your minds on Christ. See, as I set my eyes on Christ, a heart soon follows. Where you set your focus, where you set your attention, where you set your mind, sets the course of your life. If I want my, my, the course of my life to be building my life on Jesus as the foundation, if I want the course of my life to be consumed with love for Jesus, I need to set my mind on him. Where you set your focus is where you drift. I'll finish with this. I've told this story before. I may have been out in a long time, so... Don't think I'm cool, because it's probably been like three years. But some of us used to always go biking out at May Simmons, um, the bike trails out there. And there was one particular little hill, quick downhill, quick uphill, where there was a right, uh, on the right side of the slope, um, or trail, I should say, we're not skiing, right side of the trail, there was a pretty good sized tree. And time and time and time again, for honestly like a couple years of going out there, I would hit that trail and I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And I would stop right before the tree, like slam on brakes, like, woo, I was close. <laughs> Get off my bike and have to walk up the trail. Finally, after I guess about the third year, I realized the problem. 
when I would get to that downhill, every time I would just stare at that tree. My thought was, I don't want to hit it, so I'm just going to stare at it. (laughs) And every time I went straight toward the tree. (laughs) Finally, it hit me. Maybe it was a revelation from the Lord, Paul moment. (laughs) Maybe if I put my eyes where I want to go, the top of that hill, I'll be okay. Do you know that I've not ran into that tree or almost ran into that tree ever again? Praise the Lord. (laughs) I might not be here today. (laughs) Where you set your eyes sets the course of your life. Paul says, because of who Jesus is, fix your eyes on him. Set your mind, set your heart on him. The call of the book of Colossians is to see Jesus, to know who he is, and to become like him as we set our minds on him. So as we enter a time of response, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, my challenge to you this morning, and I mean this, like we're we're gonna do this right now, is I want you to consider how do you need to even today, February 16th, 2020, how do you need to set your mind, your eyes on Christ? I'm gonna invite you in a moment, maybe that, maybe like, we wanna keep building this culture of response and not just like, hmm, cool, by actually responding. Maybe you need to come down front and even bring your journal down, journal down front and like write some notes, or maybe you wanna sit in your chair, or get on your knees in your chair. Um, maybe it means you're gonna stand and sing, say, I just need to, to set my eyes on Christ as we sing this song. Whatever it is, I, w- I want you to, to jot it down or, or like make a mental note of this is how I'm gonna set my eyes on Christ. You're like, why do they want us to come down to the altar? You don't have to. Walt Barnes, one of my best buddies, always says, decisions don't happen at altars, they happen in hearts. 100% agree with that, but there is something about getting up and moving. You don't have to walk creepy like this, but there's something about getting up and moving and saying, hey, this is a real thing in my life. God is doing something, I wanna nail this down. So we invite you to to respond in a moment as we sing to how you're gonna set your, your mind on Christ. There's also gonna be, I almost forgot, uh, kind of in the front, but also around the sides, we're gonna have some guys and some gals, men and women and some younger folks um, there. If you're just like, man, I just would like someone to pray for me. I wanna set my eyes on Christ. I could use some encouragement. They're there to pray with you. Let's get rid of this stigma. If someone comes down front or goes to someone, it's like, oh man, they must be really struggling with some sin. They gotta repent or maybe they're getting saved. Like maybe they just want some prayer, right? Is that cool? Can we create that culture? Uh, man, this, we're all response. We believe God's word demands a response. All right, not another sermon. Okay, so the other thing, if you're not a believer, you don't know Jesus, this is a great day to know him. Every day is a great day to know him. How can you know him? Well, he made it possible because he lived the perfect life that you could never live. He died the death that you deserve because of your sin. And then he rose again, conquering death and hell and the grave. And because of that, You'll come to him by grace through faith. He offers you forgiveness and hope and a right relationship with him. And as your Lord, once you submit to him as Lord, a new purpose of obeying him and following him and living your life for his glory. It's a simple saying, I mean, you can use your words, but simply, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm messed up. I need your forgiveness and hope and love in my life. I wanna turn from my sin and turn to you for salvation. Now, if that's you this morning, again, these folks are down front and on the sides would love to pray with you, would love to maybe answer a question you have about what it means to follow Jesus. Whatever it is, all of us need to respond this morning. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then after I pray, we're gonna begin to sing, and I'm gonna invite you to respond however God leads you. Let's pray.
Jesus, we're grateful for your word. Thank you. And we're excited about this new book. And thank you just for even from just kind of glancing at it this morning and getting a 10,000 foot view, just still seeing some of the beautiful truths from scripture, setting our eyes on you to, to become like you. Jesus, I pray that this would just be the beginning of an incredible season of us rooting our lives into you and, and building our lives on you and, and becoming more like you as we do and realizing that there's nothing bigger or better than you and that we don't need something else to complete us or to complete our salvation. Jesus, you are enough. I pray that the gospel would, would stir our hearts, stir our affection for you in this time. And God, I pray that you would even, I know this is kind of new, Lord, you know, it's not, you're not surprised by it, but I pray that our folks would even be bold this morning and, and going and standing up and saying, hey, I need someone to pray for me and just coming to one of these folks on the front or on the sides and just saying, hey, I could use some encouragement. Could you pray for me? Help us to be bold. Jesus, thank you that as we respond, you have open arms. It's really, really cool. It's in the beautiful, powerful, amazing name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.